Hi guys, this is Fatal Tales. My name's Katie. And I'm Azra. And today's episode is super fucked up. It is fucked up. I've been wanting to do this case since, honestly, since we started the podcast, I've been wanting to do this. I think that it offers a really important conversation. We're going to be talking about homophobia and kind of like the way that in the 50s especially but even now the way that the media represents gay people particularly um, queer women particularly queer women and in this case they the women involved weren't even gay but the media loves to twist narratives and act like women who are gay are evil so i think it offers a really important conversation about homophobia wait babe you're not evil Mm, i don't know are you i'm the most evil look at me devil horns highway to hell right here baby (laughs) fucking hell (laughs) before we get started though i kind of want to talk about what we've been calling our tiny tales episodes because our tiny tale episodes aren't tiny not anymore no they're not really tiny so should we keep calling them tiny episodes or do you guys think that we should call them something else we love the name tiny tales katie came up with it and it's a great name but our tiny tales aren't tiny anymore if you have name suggestions please let us know yeah or do you think that we should just merge them into full-length episodes and like have all our episodes be full length like regular episodes now so yeah just let us know we're trying to figure this out we're still a pretty new podcast so yeah let us know what you think our brand is k thinks bye yeah so the case we're talking about today actually inspired peter jackson's film heavenly creatures which is why we titled this episode what we did it was actually kate winslet's first film and was nominated for an oscar katie and i looked in a lot of places to see if we could find it to watch and we could not we even have vpns and we tried to look in different countries to see if we could find it to watch and we couldn't so it wasn't on any streaming platform in any country couldn't get it on amazon couldn't get it on youtube couldn't get it on itunes like you Ooh, literally nothing. can't even purchase it to watch i yeah. couldn't find a place where i could buy the dvd to watch it was just not like you just you can't you can't find it so yeah it was it was kind of ridiculous trying to figure out how to do it so we weren't able to watch it but if you guys have seen the movie then you know that this is the case that inspired heavenly creatures so it revolves around pauline parker who was 16 year 16 years old at the time and juliet holm who was 15 years old at the time now pauline parker was born on may 26th in 1938 to herbert reaper and honora parker She took her mom's last name, and we couldn't figure out whether it was a situation where, like, they weren't married, and then they had the baby, and, you know, it doesn't seem likely because it was the 50s. We couldn't figure out exactly what the circumstances were, but she took her mom's last name. That's important. But most of the sources call Honora, like, give her the last name Reaper, so... We genuinely have no idea why she took the last name Parker instead of Reaper, but she did. That's all that's important. Honora Parker, Honora Reaper, we don't know. Herbert Reaper and Pauline Parker, and she's their kid. That's the takeaway. Now, Pauline had an older sister, Wendy, who was two years older than her, and she was also very sick as a child. She was hospitalized when she was five years old because... She had osteomyelitis for several months, and she needed multiple surgeries over the course of three years to treat 
the osteomyelitis that she had. Osteomyelitis is like a bone marrow infection and eventually they were able to treat it, but she ended up with chronic pain throughout her childhood and into her teens from this like disorder that she had. So we're gonna talk about the other person involved with this, Juliet Holm. Juliet Holm was born in England on October 28th, 1938 to Richard and Hilda Holm. She had a brother, Jonathan, who was five years younger than her. So Juliet got tuberculosis as a child, and so she was sent to live in both South Africa and the Caribbean before the age of 13 because doctors hoped that the warm weather would help her health. But when Juliet was 13 years old, her father was appointed rector at the University of Canterbury, and the family moved to Christchurch, New Zealand. Pauline and Juliet attended the same school, and that's how they met. They were in the same grade, and they bonded because both of them had to sit out of, like, PE and physical activities at school because they were both had some chronic illness and things like that that kept them from being able to participate in, like, some of the games and physical activities and things. So they were quick friends, and then they slowly, like, grew closer and closer and closer over time. Now, as the two of them became closer to each other, they both began to drift away from their parents, especially Pauline. She would even ignore them when they spoke to her, and her grades at school began to drop. Now, through the span of their friendship, they created this kind of fantasy world. They renamed themselves Gina and Deborah, and they were making plans for a life where they would be famous actresses in the United States. Juliet and Pauline's parents were at first happy that each of their daughters had found a friend. However, they soon grew pretty concerned as the girls fell deeper into the fantasy world that they had created. They created this fantasy world, the quote-unquote fourth world. Like Katie mentioned, Pauline grew distant from her parents and was ignoring them. And this fantasy world, like a lot of girls, or kids, I guess I should say, they wanted to be famous actresses in the United States. Like, lots of kids, I think, dream about that. But their fantasy world was, like... It, like, took over their lives. It wasn't just, one day this will happen. It took over every single aspect of their lives, where anybody who wasn't involved in those plans was kind of like an other to them. You also have to remember too, these aren't like 10-year-old kids where I feel like that's pretty common to have like fantasy Mm -hmm. games that you play and like create your own little worlds and things. They're not even 12 where it's like, okay, you know, you're still kind of, they're 15, so they're 15 and 16, so they're grown enough that they're kind of definitely expected by their families to start living in the real world and not having a fantasy land that they occupy most of the time. Right. And then the calling each other Gina and Deborah, it's it's just it was just too much that both parents kind of were just getting very concerned because they were kind of becoming very codependent on each other. Right. And this fantasy world. Apparently, the girls even slept in the same bed and took baths together at times. So when Juliet was hospitalized again due to tuberculosis, the girls' parents were happy that they would be kept apart for some time. Juliet remained in the hospital for four months, but she was discharged as not cured. As soon as Juliet was released, she and Pauline immediately grew just as close as they had been before. Pauline's parents at this point began to be, like, really concerned about her relationship with Juliet being too codependent and too, like, I don't know, out of the ordinary for a friendship. So they took Pauline to see a psychiatrist. Now, the psychiatrist told Pauline's parents that he believed that Pauline and Juliet were in a homosexual relationship, that they were lesbians. Now, the girls say that that's not true and they've kind of always said that that wasn't true it's difficult to be a hundred percent sure what exactly did or didn't happen between them yeah i mean i'm just gonna say that like if the girls themselves are saying that it's not true then like 
I'm fine with saying that it's not true because as we'll see through the rest of this case, the media had a frenzy about this and like like just because their relationship was like a little bit codependent or whatever i don't know that necessarily like just because there's something that's not right like at that time people saw something that's not right they immediately went to oh like these are lesbians you know right so i agree like i'm just saying it's not a hundred percent like verifiable that they never like kissed or anything i'm just oh no it's not they could have there's just no concrete evidence that they ever did either Mm -hmm. yeah now it was at this time that juliet and pauline found out that juliet's mom was having an affair and so juliet's parents marriage broke up they ended up like getting a divorce and juliet's father decided that he would be leaving to south africa i believe right yeah it was south africa so initially he was going to be going to england but after finding out that the psychiatrist believed that juliet and pauline were apparently lesbians he was like never mind we're going to south africa so you're even further away right basically he was doing everything that he could to separate them and keep them from Mm -hmm. doing something embarrassing um which fuck you yeah he literally was like we don't want you to embarrass us by potentially revealing that you might be in a lesbian relationship (laughs) right or gay whatever you know right which is ridiculous absolutely now pauline and juliet obviously were super fucking pissed about this they did not want to leave each other at all and pauline begged her parents to let her go with juliet to south africa or to england or wherever she ended up but pauline's parents were like no there's no way that you're going so basically the girls were just super distraught over this and didn't see any way that they could fix it yeah so they didn't see any way they could fix it so they focused all their attention on the person that they blamed the most for who they believed was keeping them apart from one another and the person who they believed was the most to blame was honora pauline's mother and so from what we gather in pauline's diary they planned to murder honora they began to plan her murder for about two weeks starting in the beginning of june of 1954 like i said because they believed she was keeping them apart the pair believed that if they killed honora then pauline would be able to go with juliet which is absolutely not true but this is what they believed would happen so at 3 p.m on june 22nd 1954 pauline and juliet asked honora to go on a walk with them they were armed with a half brick inside a stocking and this was hidden inside pauline's coat pocket the three of them walked to victoria park and they were walking on a path in the park And Pauline looked down at the ground and she saw a pebble and it was pink. And she was just saying, like, how pretty it was. Now, what Honora didn't know was that the pebble had been intentionally dropped by Juliet, who was walking ahead of them. And she knelt down to pick up the pebble. And when she knelt down, Pauline then hit her over the head with the half brick that was hidden in the stocking. At this point, Juliet ran back to where they were, and she and Pauline continued to beat Honora with a brick until they believed that she was dead. After the attack, the doctors found 45 external injuries on Honora. 24 of those were to the face and head, and they fractured her skull multiple times. So, geez, they really, like... Beat the fuck out of her. Yeah. I can't imagine, like, this is her mother, you know? 
Yeah. Her own mother, it's just really dark. Um, and callous. Like, they just, it's like, no matter what was going on between them, it's very clear that they didn't have a whole lot of... Empathy for her? Certainly, yeah. Yeah. They really only cared um, about what they were doing and, like, that they weren't allowed to go. and Very, very right, selfish. Right, yeah. Very much living in this fantasy world. Yeah. After killing Honora, the two girls ran, screaming for help, to a tea kiosk covered in blood. Now, they ran to this tea kiosk and told Agnes Ritchie, the woman running the kiosk, that Honora had tripped on a plank and fallen down the path. They told this to her, like, with their faces and clothes spattered in, like, Honora's blood. To me, I just don't understand how they expected to get away with this when, like, they're I mean, very clearly... They're still children, you know? Like, yeah. I know they're 15, 16, but, like, that's still a child. Yeah. And they're very naive, clearly, thinking that this would work. They did not think it through. No, definitely. According to Pauline, quote, she kept falling and her head kept banging and bumping as she fell, end quote. When the girls went to a sink at the kiosk to wash the blood off of themselves, apparently Agnes Ritchie heard them laughing. Jesus. Which is fucked up. Gross. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, to me, I think that the the th- bottom line here is these girls did what they did, and they didn't care. No, like, they definitely didn't. They didn't give a fuck. It didn't bother mm-hmm. them. It didn't sit on their conscience. Like, as compared to, like, the Skylar Niece case, these guys gave zero fucks at all. Right. Yeah. Neither of them yeah, were guilty. they just did what they thought they had to do to be together and then eventually go live in America and get famous. Right. Now, of course, the police were immediately called and Honora's body was discovered. And then hours later, police discovered Pauline's diary in her home and subsequently found the details of their plans to kill Honora. Now, Honora's body also had defensive marks and had been so badly beaten, it could not be mistaken for a fall down the path. Basically, as soon as they saw her body, they were like, no fucking way. That's not what happened. And these girls have blood all over them. So... Which, like, to me, if you're gonna say she fell, push her off of something... You know, yeah. that you think is going to kill her and then be like, oh, she fell. Right. I mean, I, I they know. just, they weren't thinking. and They were not, clearly, they were not thinking because also, they're so young. I also think that, like, when you're this young, you think that people will just believe you. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. what you say is true, even if it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, they had the privilege of being white girls, young white girls. Yeah. It is honestly kind of amazing that they didn't just go, oh, she fell, huh? Okay. Yeah, it is. You're right. (laughs) Or, I don't know. I mean, to me, I would come up with a better story about some attacker dashing out of the bushes, but Mm -hmm. maybe that's naive, too. Anyway. um, I mean, like, I don't know what you would say, like, if you were 15, you know? Yeah, that's true. But in addition to, like, the way that the body looked. The police also found Pauline's diary and the entries in it kind of discussed both Pauline and Juliet's, like, life and friendship and, like, the things that they were thinking about and talking about and their fantasy world and also the fact that, like, they were going to be split up and they were really upset about it and things like this that basically led the police to be like, "Mm, I think they fucking killed her because she was in their way. Now, Pauline and Juliet basically immediately were arrested for the murder, and almost immediately also, the media went absolutely fucking insane over the case. They 
blew up the details of like the girls being lesbians and that they were in a relationship and they loved this idea of the evil lesbians that killed their mom. One article referred to them as dirty-minded little girls and it didn't matter to the press or to the media that they weren't actually in a relationship, that they were just friends, that they denied this, you know, throughout the whole time. It didn't matter. The press and the police were like, nah, this is what we think of you. You're dirty-minded, you're lesbians, you're evil, and this fits into our narrative of what lesbians are, so we're gonna do it. And it doesn't matter. Right. Even, as we'll see, the defense's whole um, argument rests on the fact that they were not guilty by reason of insanity, and that reason of insanity is the fact that they were, quote-unquote, homosexuals. Yikes. So, like... The media just ate this up and it's fucking disgusting. And we see it happen now also. Like today, stuff like this still happens, you know? Right. Like the media will fetishize queer women. Yep. They will paint them as evil like this. Yep. Like, well, I mean, even look at... I will say, I am a huge fan of Jennifer's body. I think it is a great piece of media. But, like, the evil demon is also one of, like, earliest representations of a queer woman in, like, a mainstream movie and a horror movie. And, you know, it's like, I don't know. The very same movie where she's, like, being possessed by a demon. She's, like, making out with her best friend. And that's, like, the only movie that I can think of from that era where two women kissed each other right yeah and like the article referring to pauline and julia as dirty-minded little girls i could absolutely see an article coming out today if something similar happened today i could absolutely see an article coming out today with the same exact wording oh yeah you know oh yeah I mean, I I don't know that they would necessarily frame it as evil lesbians, but I guarantee the headline would definitely say lesbians killed. Mm-hmm. You know, the evil would be yep. implied at this point, but oh, the evil will be would be implied, but they would probably say dirty-minded little girls or something yeah, like that. Definitely. Now, at the trial, the girls were apparently completely uninterested in what everyone else had to say. In fact, they preferred to whisper among themselves, still largely occupying their own little world. Like I mentioned, their lawyers tried to plead not guilty by reason of insanity, not only because they were homosexuals, but also because, you know... Delusion of, you know, whatever. Right, exactly. Now, psychiatrists who were at the trial said that the girls did suffer from paranoia, narcissism, and attachment anxiety, but that none of these made them insane. They still knew that murder was wrong, and they chose to do it anyway. And so, after a six-day trial, the jury deliberated for two hours and 15 minutes and came back with a guilty verdict for both girls. Let's just talk about six days for the whole fucking trial. For a murder trial two hours and 15 minutes and they're like yeah they're fucking guilty like Mm -hmm. so quick and i mean obviously the evidence is pretty strong but like still for it to be that quick of like a one and done insane right right absolutely insane like i i i think this is like the only case i've ever researched that had this quick of a trial and jury deliberation yeah so the girls were convicted, but because they were so young, the the judge was not able to give them the death penalty. So they were given very, very light sentences because they were under 18. And so they only ended up spending five and a half years in prison for murder before being released. Now, for Juliet and Pauline, the like worst part of their sentences was that they were going to be sent to different prisons from each other. Juliet went to Mount Eden's prison, and Pauline went to Arohata Borstal, north of Wellington in New Zealand. That That's the name of the prison that she went to. So, 
they basically were separated from each other at that point for the five and a half years that they were serving their term. Now, it's probably better that they got the guilty verdict than an insanity verdict because they would have been institutionalized. And at this time in the 50s, they probably would have had lobotomies performed on them because that was a treatment for, quote-unquote, treatment for homosexuality at the time. So, basically, this five-and-a-half-year prison sentence, I mean, it's nothing to begin with, but also, compared to if they were put in, you know, an institution at this time, they probably never would have gotten out, and they probably would not have been safe if they had gone to a mental health facility instead. Yeah, I mean, we know what, like Katie said, like, in New Zealand at the time, like, having that, like, a prefrontal lobotomy be, like, a quote-unquote treatment for homosexuality is ridiculous, and we know what that does to a person, so they really are lucky that they didn't, that they weren't found not guilty by reason of insanity. Yeah. I mean, apparently, when the when the verdict was read, the girls looked at each other and smiled. And I wonder if they knew that it's because they would rather have gone the guilty verdict because they knew they wouldn't be in prison for that long. And if they got the not guilty verdict, they would have ended up lobotomized. Yeah. I mean, if they were older, they also probably would have gotten a death sentence in New Zealand at the time, so... Yeah, they would have. They would have. So, I mean... In every way, they were better off than they probably realized. Yeah. It's just... It's fucked up that a prefrontal lobotomy was being performed on people that were gay or who others thought were gay. Yeah, no, absolutely. It just disgusts me. And it, like... And this wasn't even that long ago. Yeah. This was, like, the 1950s. That's not even 100 years ago. I really can't even, like, make my brain wrap around it. Like, I... And... It makes me so sick. This is New Zealand, which is a country that most people I know regard as, like... Pretty progressive. Pretty progressive. Like, Katie and I are always talking about how we want to move to New Zealand. (laughs) Because we're just, like, oh, New Zealand is just, like iconic i mean the u.s but like i mean the u.s in this time wasn't any better no it was not but like just it's it's kind of jarring to know that less than 100 years ago this shit was still happening there too you know no i agree but yeah so later's investigators said that despite the guilty verdict and their plea not working they believed that the girls were insane but like i don't know what to make about what the investigators said because like the psychiatrist who came up during the trial did say that like even though they had paranoia narcissism and attachment anxiety they still understood that murder was wrong and they chose to do it anyways so Yeah, I mean, I think that you would see, at least in the current day, a plea of, like, something like folier a deux or something like that. Like, some kind of a delusion, a shared delusion that they have. Yeah. I don't know that they're necessarily saying that, like, they were not guilty because they were insane. I think they're saying they were not fully in reality and rational, despite being aware of what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the investigators say that they did inhabit a separate world of their creation with different names and they thought of themselves as superior to everyone else, which we have seen. Yeah. At this time in New Zealand, people who either were homosexual or were thought to be homosexual could be sent to mental institutions to be treated. So kind of tying back to what we said earlier about the girls potentially getting prefrontal lobotomies it wasn't just if they were arrested and went through a trial um like just everyday people also could just be sent to mental institutions if 
family thought that they were homosexual or if they just absolutely were homosexual because it was outlawed at the time that's so fucking and it was thought of as something that needed to be treated because it was thought of as a mental illness so fucking gross yeah the way i love doesn't affect anyone else go fuck yourself yeah now pauline parker was released with like some conditions around her release after the five and a half years that she was sentenced to those conditions were that she had to live and work in like specific places kind of so that the government could monitor her and keep an eye on her and make sure that she wasn't gonna like relapse and kill somebody again i guess she ended up changing her name to Hillary Nathan, and she started school. She received a Bachelor of Arts at Auckland University. And then in 1965, her release was made unconditional, and she left New Zealand and moved to England. She worked as a librarian in England for a long time, and now she teaches, teaches children to ride horses, and she's a devout Catholic. The last word that we really have on her, Pauline or Hillary or whatever, is from 1997 so there's not a whole lot of information about her anymore pauline's very private and what didn't want people following her or knowing where she was so which is fair i mean i'm sure that she probably got harassed yeah yeah i mean i think it's totally valid that she changed her name is kind of and is kind of living low now yeah Juliet Holm was also released after five and a half years, and she also changed her name. She changed her name to Anne Perry and moved to Italy when she was released from prison in 1959. She lived in Scotland for a while and also converted to Mormonism. Now, Juliet, or Anne Perry, is a crime writer and has sold over 25 million copies of her books. Apparently, in 2017, Anne or Juliet announced that she will be moving to Hollywood to promote film and TV adaptations of her books. Okay, that's fucking gross. Like, I, I, you know, I don't know. I have really mixed feelings about, like, murderers, like, and prison sentences and what should and shouldn't happen, but, like, a murderer going on to then write crime novels and make millions of dollars on them? Absolutely fucking not. Right, and having film adaptations and TV adaptations from those crime novels after murdering somebody, and I understand, I understand that she was a child when she did that, but it just feels gross a little bit. It does. It's like that thing where prisoners aren't allowed to, like, get paid for articles or movies or books or shit. I think that Mm -hmm. that should apply whether it's fictionalized or not. Like, whether you're writing fiction, quote-unquote, or not, you shouldn't be able to write about crime or true crime. If you're a murderer. Yeah. So there is a rumor that as a condition of their release, the girls could never see each other again. But this isn't true, there was no condition like this, but there is still no record of them ever trying to see each other or contact each other after their release. Which kind of makes sense to me. It feels like if that were me, you get out of that headspace of like being around that person 24-7 and like the spell kind of gets broken. It's almost like, for lack of a better word, like a breakup, you know? And like, you're mm-hmm. away from them for a while and then finally like when you had the opportunity again it's like i really have no interest in being around this person again like that was a bad time for me a bad environment for me and now i don't really have any desire to be around them right i completely completely agree like it was they just needed to be apart and like it fucking is awful that this is what it took for them to be apart but everything about this case is super fucked from start to finish they were, you know, did horrible, a horrible thing, for sure. Yeah. But, Yeah, like, um, I mean, if, obviously, if the murder hadn't happened and Julia did end up moving away, like, it would have been great and healthy for both of them. And they probably, honestly, would never have killed somebody if they didn't know each mm-hmm. other, in they my opinion. They probably wouldn't have, because I feel like they both fed off of each other and made each other worse. Right. You know how there's just some people that 
make you worse that like other people are like i don't like who you are when you're around them yes i feel like that's who pauline and juliet are for each other but i mean i've dated people like that (laughs) right and like they didn't understand that but like that's who they were for each other and they just made each other's flaws so much more accentuated and they riled each other up and were really toxic for each other and it resulted in this and i think that that may come across like we're trying to be defensive of them and i don't want that to because it's not i don't defend their actions in any way I think that they, mm-hmm. what they did is horrifying. I think what they did is completely their responsibility. Either of them could have stopped it at any point. But I think that it is absolutely true that people do things sometimes with other people that they would never do by themselves. And this is a case of that. Where these girls were influencing each other and almost through each other influencing themselves in really, really negative and unhealthy ways. And culminated in the murder of a woman and you know awful absolutely horrifying they're a hundred percent responsible honestly i think they maybe probably deserve harsher sentences for that and shouldn't be crime writers for fuck's sake but at the same time like i don't think that they would have done this if they hadn't been around each other no i completely agree now we're we've talked about their release from prison So now we kind of want to delve into the moral panic that ensued after the murder of Honora Parker or Honora Reaper. The moral panic that happened throughout New Zealand after this murder as well as another incident and the response and the implications for women and the LGBT plus community. Yeah, so in 1954, the same year, just after Honora's murder, they issued something called the Mazengarb Report. It was partially a response to the murder that happened, but it was also partially as a response to the Patone incident. So in this, a 15-year-old girl was reported missing, and months later, she called the Patone police station and claimed that she had been part of a gang that met at a milk bar in Lower Hut named the Milk Bar Gang, which is creative as fuck. But she claimed that this milk bar gang would all have sex with each other and meet at this milk bar and then they would go and have sex. And then she got fed up after about six months and she decided that she was tired of all of the sex that they were having and she felt like the gang should break up. So she decided to call the police because she was worried about younger members of the gang. Now, it is important to state that the details of this incident are only recorded that we could find in this Mazengarb report. Yeah, but it did, she did go missing and she did call the police, but like, we don't know if she was lying or not. About, like, the milk bar gang and all of that, yeah. Yeah. It sounds fake, though. I'm just gonna say it. (laughs) It sounds fake. It sounds like, what the fuck? It sounds like she needed a reason to be gone for a few months. Mm Mm-hmm. Interestingly, though, that, though, that this report that she made scared police so much that they kind of went on a rampage and ended up arresting, like, 60 people after this. The Pitone incident caused a moral panic throughout New Zealand, which was further intensified by the murder of Honora, which happened afterwards. People were just freaking out that the children were kind of, like that the children in New Zealand were kind of acting up. They were having orgies, they were in sex gangs, they were murdering their parents. They were were gay. Everybody was freaking out. They were gay. Worst of all, they were gay. So in July 1954, just one month after Honora's murder, a lawyer named Oswald Mazengarb was appointed as a chair on a committee known as the Special Committee on Moral Delinquency in Children and Adolescents. 
So this committee was created by the Crown as a direct response to the murder Pauline and Juliet committed and the Pitone incident. Now, Oswald Mazengarb, the guy who the report was named after, was said to be a, quote, Puritan moralist and fundamentalist. So, everything I don't want to hear. Yeah. Now, this report was sent to 300,000 homes in New Zealand. The report was 70 pages long, which, Jesus fucking Christ, you're long-winded and need a hobby. But it blamed the incidents on moral drift in society. And the report was said to be an inquiry into juvenile delinquency. And the committee blamed this on working mothers, the availability of contraceptives, the apparent high wages that were paid to teenagers, and American influences. They were basically like, oh, women are working, so that's causing our traditional family values to go down the hole. And then and that's causing juvenile delinquency. Right. Like, go fuck yourself. Um, yeah. Girls especially were blamed for sexual promiscuity, and the report claimed that teenage girls were seducing teenage boys, enticing them into having sex, and that as a result, they were, like, the root cause. Jesus Christ. In addition, homosexuality was, of course, blamed, because being gay is horrifying and terrible. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of homosexuality being blamed, under the heading, A Change of Pattern in Sexual Misbehavior in the report, there was an entire subsection devoted to the problem of homosexuality. Oh, cool. The report made it seem as though homosexuality was something new that had not previously been seen in New Zealand before, and that the number of homosexuals in the country were increasing. Directly from the report, quote, The conclusion of the committee is that this pattern of immorality is of a kind which was not previously manifest in New Zealand. The attitude of mind shown by those who have planned and organized sexual parties and sometimes caught others within their net is something which demands serious consideration, end quote. So, like, okay. So I read this section on homosexuality, and their thought process was basically that before the Patone incident and before the Pauline and Juliet murder, before all of that started happening, New Zealand was better than England because England had more of a problem, I'm using problem in air quotes, with homosexuality because England had apparently more homosexuals. But now, New Zealand is starting to get more homosexuals. And they're like, what is happening? We don't know where all these homosexuals are coming from. We need to deal with this, but we don't know how because we've never had to deal with this problem before because homosexuals are so new to New Zealand. Here's the thing. Gay people have always existed and will always exist. Mm -hmm. It's just whether they feel comfortable enough to publicly, like, exist or not. Right. Anyway, they can go fuck themselves. That's fine. Yeah. The Amazing Guard Report, like Katie mentioned, is like over 70 pages long, but I found it online and I read parts of it. I did not read the whole thing because I refused to do that to myself, but I will link it in the show notes if any of you guys want to read it. I don't know why you would, but you guys can read it. I'll link it down below. <laughs> the report also seriously advocated for homes to return to Christianity. They believed that families had strayed away from religion. And so they wanted them to start going back to church and things. They also advocated for a more traditional lifestyle as another solution. And by more traditional lifestyle, I mean mothers staying home instead of working. Because apparently a mother working means that her she's abandoning her children and allowing them to become juvenile delinquents and allowing them to become homosexuals and get involved in orgies you know my mom ran a daycare out of the house so that she could stay home with us while we were kids and i'm still fucking gay so you are hella gay so <laughs> to that so good try mom mm -hmm. by gay i mean bisexual so. i'm using it as an umbrella term key thanks bye 
Um, Other solutions listed in the Maze and Garb report included an increase in censorship and banning contraception for those under the age of 16. The Maze and Garb report further fanned the flames of the moral panic happening in New Zealand at the time. In a book titled OK Boomer, Joanne Drayton, who now identifies as a lesbian, talks about the, like, way that her life was in New Zealand growing up in the 1960s. She talks about how those in the LGBT plus community were called inverts prior to the murder of Honora Parker and after the murder, she says- Which is so gross. Even just, even before the murder, they're being called inverts, which is disgusting. After the murder, she says that anxiety about lesbianism and homosexuality surged throughout the country during the 50s and 60s, and in 1954, the report terrorized families like hers with stories of sex gangs and teenage orgies. Now, obviously, New Zealand came a long way, but the 1950s and 60s was horrifying um, as a time to be, like, anything other than straight white Christian. Yeah, and... We just want to say, this Mason Grove report, it came out, they advocated for all this change, and nothing they did, nothing the government did, could change the way that teenagers were acting. And when I say the way that the teenagers were acting, I mean normal teenagers. No fucking sex gangs were actually happening. And if they were, they were very rare, <laughs> you know? And also, like, but like what's so wrong with a sex gang? i don't know to me i'm like all right let people do what they want to do with their bodies give them i mean as long as there's no adults there you know yeah i mean i'm not talking about like predatory behavior i'm talking about like you know which i consenting partly what i think was what people were kind of scared about with the patone incident but like they were also scared that just generally teenagers were having sex right but to me, as but long like, as it's, like, consenting people who are involved in a situation and nobody's, like, being predatory or abusive, I don't see any problem with shit. I don't know. Maybe like, that that's the not The reality is but. that teenagers are going to have sex. And the Mason Garb report trying to ban contraceptives isn't going to stop teenagers from having sex. It's just going to keep them having sex but not safely i was gonna say it's gonna stop them from having safe sex yeah mm-hmm. like you're just gonna have more teenage pregnancies that's what's going to happen yeah also you mentioned this the other day and we you didn't bring it up today but if you want to have more working moms working from home you have to bring up the minimum wage or general working wages conservatives always want to do this thing where they're like traditional family values and it's like great good for you. I would love to be able to, you know, have a one-person household where only one of us has to work, me and Azra, and one of us gets to stay home. Honestly, I mean, I really honestly wouldn't want to stay home, but I'm saying, like, I think a lot of people would prefer to, like, have one person go out and make money and the other person be able to stay home and take care of their kids and their house and their family and all of the, you know, finances and things that need to be done in a home, right? Nobody Mm -hmm. wants to have both people out working full time that's not an ideal situation because it means that all of your home time is spent doing all of the house chores and not being able to spend time with each other not being able to spend time with your kids right like exactly that's what conservatives are think is the problem but if you want to fix that then you need to raise wages so that one person's earnings is enough for the other partner to stay home like right because if one person is a teacher and they're making like thirty thousand dollars a year or something that's not enough to support a family of four right and there's no way that their wife can stay home and cook and clean and do all the things that they're technically quote-unquote supposed to do under a traditional model like exactly it's just not humanly possible for Mm -hmm. a family to survive like that so it's like if you want if you want traditional values and you truly that's what you're really going for Raise wages. Raise wages. Do it. Mm -hmm. Do it. Completely agree. I grew up in a conservative household. I was one of them that was bitching about these, you know, traditional family values and blah, blah, blah. But, like, you don't want to do what's necessary to fix it. And I'm sorry. That's 110% my take. If you wanted to fix it, it could be fixed. But you don't actually want to fix it. You just want to bitch about it. Yeah. So, 
now we want to talk about the timeline of lgbt plus rights in new zealand from kind of from the time that we left off in the 1950s with the mason garbage court so unfortunately it wasn't until 1986 that the homosexual law reform bill was passed which stated that homosexuals could enter into relationships without fear of prosecution however this may seem like a big victory but the part of the bill that outlawed discrimination on the basis of sexuality was rejected so they passed the first part of the bill and rejected the second part of the bill so yeah you can be in a relationship if you're a woman with another woman but we're still allowed to harass you on the street we can still you know commit like a fucking hate crime against you deny your because you're gay or your job or exactly refuse to give you medical care because you're gay because just because so it was kind of like a half win there no that that's still a full loss in my opinion well at least they weren't being fucking lobotomized anymore lobotomized or put in jail you're right um yeah it's just like I don't know. If you can still be discriminated against, you still have no incentive to be publicly out. Exactly. Yeah. Now, in 1993, it finally became illegal to discriminate against someone on the grounds of their sexual orientation when the Human Rights Act was passed. So this was a big deal. Now, it's kind of implied that it was also illegal to discriminate against someone based on their gender identity within the Human Rights Act, although it is widely debated about whether or not transgender people and gender identity are either protected under this act, because it's not, like, explicitly stated. Right. So, New Zealand also only has one surgeon in the whole country that performs sex change operations and this surgeon is now doing the operations after the previous one had quit and the country was left without one for four full years jesus. so for four years in the whole country there was just no surgeon doing them jesus so you had so literally had to go every, somewhere to another country mm-hmm. so for every transgender individual waiting for their surgery they either waited for four years or had to pay out of pocket because obviously New Zealand is a country that has good health care, but they either had to pay out of pocket for like private a private surgery or like go out of country to to get the surgery done. That's and terrifying. even now, there's only one surgeon that's doing it. And so obviously there's like a huge, huge wait list. That sucks. So even though with same sex relationships, New Zealand is kind of doing well for transgender rights i'm not so sure right you know now new zealand was the 13th country in the world to allow same-sex marriage in 2013 and just recently i actually saw this article in the news probably like last month new zealand's government has revealed its plans to completely ban conversion therapy by early 2022 at the latest conversion therapy so fucking sickening to me i still cannot believe that it's still a thing that happens today like it's 2021 and conversion therapy is still a thing that happens in new zealand in north america like i just like the trauma the like it's just horrific well and it's just like my head around it it's just like i don't know it doesn't it's been proven to not work so it's like why are you still doing something that has been proven to not work yeah well at least they are planning to completely ban it that is good yeah fucking hell i just i i feel like i'm at a point now where it's like we should have like all of this should have been done so much longer ago and i know that like progress doesn't happen overnight but i just get so frustrated because it's like we're spinning our wheels on like the same god like bullshit the same bullshit yeah i know yeah like it i don't know conservatives just piss me the fuck off but this i just 
I'm really glad that we covered this case because I think that it's really it's a really important discussion and it's really it's very difficult for Katie and I obviously you guys know we're both bi um and so it's really difficult but it's very important to cover and you know recognize that this is in the world's history this is in New Zealand's history um I don't know it makes me feel better that we're not performing prefrontal prefrontal lobotomies on people anymore yeah it's really hard to talk about like the shit that used to happen to people because it's gross and it's scary like i i think that's the bottom line is it's scary like it is scary i don't know if you feel this way but like talking about it today like makes me really uncomfortable because it's like this could be us like if we Mm -hmm. were born 50 years ago this could be us yeah i Um, think it's the same thing as like whenever there's like a hate crime against like a gay couple or anything in a tv show or a movie it gives me like a panic attack because it's one of my biggest fears in the world yeah genuinely and i don't say that to sound dramatic i mean it it's one of my biggest fears like when you and i go out like it's always kind of in the back of my mind yeah yeah i agree i mean it's just like it is so goddamn frustrating that old white men largely there are some women there are some other races involved there are some but largely old white men have decided how the world should run for like 500 years and they have governed who gets in history books what history gets written about how society should run, who people are allowed to date, who people are allowed to marry, who people are allowed to have sex with, who people are allowed to be, what people are allowed to do, what jobs they're allowed to have, how much money they're allowed to make. And it's like, I'm just so, I am so, I've only been alive 23 years, but I'm so fucking tired Tired. of it. I'm so fucking tired of it. Because it's like, I... I should have just as much say over how my life goes and who I'm allowed to love and who I'm allowed to be. It's valid to be angry because, like, these are actual issues and... And people fucking die because of it. Mm-hmm. They die and they did die and they are currently dying. And, like, obviously the world is getting better, but it's just... It's not fucking fast enough. It's not fast enough and sometimes I just wonder... Why haven't we gotten to the point where the world just isn't okay with the worst possible people at the top of it? Yeah. But obviously, we don't want to completely take away from the actual crime that happened. It was horrible. And Um, the girls weren't even lesbians, so... No. In a way, it's like, all of this whole conversation is to say the whole point that they were trying to make isn't even true. They weren't even having sex. They weren't even lesbians. No, they weren't even in a relationship. They were children. They were, like, 15 years old. And they killed one of their own... their mothers because they wanted to, like, be able to eventually get to America and be famous. Because they were, like, slightly delusional. Like, bottom line. Exactly. And the media turned it into, like, a lesbians are evil thing. That's what the media did. So the media is to blame for... All of this? The Mason Garb report and all of it, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's, yeah, that's the bottom line is it literally wasn't even what they said it was. A, B, yes, it is fucked up. Yes, it is horrible. I probably think they should have had even longer sentences than they did. But what New Zealand was doing to homosexual people is fucked up also, and gay people deserve rights. Yeah, it's like Joanne Drayton was saying. She only knew about lesbians because her mother would talk about, like, Pauline Parker and Juliet Holm and the murder they committed when she was younger growing up in New Zealand. And Joanne now identifies as a lesbian, but, like, I cannot imagine growing up in a society where, like, Everyone around you associates being gay with murder Murder. or being an invert. 
God. or like just like horrible horrible things like we think that we had to overcome internalized homophobia cannot imagine what like people at that time had to overcome i i really wonder and like this is like an existential question for myself but like if i had been born 50 years earlier i literally don't think i would be dating a woman no i don't think i would either (laughs) like i really don't i like we're both bi so we have options and i think i would have made different decisions 50 years ago well we would have potentially been forced into conversion therapy conversion therapy or even just in jail yeah or just institutionalized for the rest of our fucking lives yep well, yeah, at least until they finally realized that they And at that time, inst- being institutionalized wasn't like they were treating you like you had a mental illness, like the way we treat mental illness today. I mean, which even still that's is not great. I was say, even still, that's not great, but. It's, even still, it's not great, but like compared to the way it was treated then, like fucking hell. I mean, even if we hadn't been lobotomized, we probably been, would have been drugged out of our minds and. Mm-hmm had conversion therapy and horrible things happened to us but anyway jesus okay if i talk about this anymore i'm probably gonna cry so um thanks for this episode yeah we hope that you guys got something out i don't want to say enjoyed it because i don't think that this was one to enjoy or anything like that i didn't enjoy (laughs) it (laughs) no but i hope you got something out of it hope you took something from the discussion if you have anything you'd like to add or say head on over to our instagram or our twitter we will have the links to both of those in our show notes below our instagram is at fatal tales and our twitter is at fatal tales pod you can also email us at fatal at gmail.com and yeah that's all i guess remember guys be gay and don't do crimes or at least don't get caught yeah this outro feels I don't know if it feels right or wrong for this episode, but it's definitely something. Uh, yeah, it, uh... Something. They weren't gay, but they did commit a crime. Yeah. And that's fucking gross, so don't commit crimes. Don't commit crimes. Be gay, but don't do crimes. That's... Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the outro. We're done. Yeah. Okay, bye guys. Bye.